Well, good morning. Hope everyone's doing well today. It is a great joy and honor to be here. And uh, I think it's always nice to know a little bit about the, uh, the individual behind the pulpit, uh, especially if you've never met him before. I appreciate uh, so much the Van Gelderen family. They have been a, uh, a personal blessing uh, to me, my wife, as well as our ministry. As uh, Brother Wayne mentioned, uh, I've been there uh, in Community Baptist in Millsville for 26 years. And uh, kind of a very neat story in how the Lord allowed me uh, to become pastor. As uh, mentioned, I was at Shannon Baptist in Shannon, Illinois. As I, I, uh, Illinois, I was assistant pastor and loved being the second man. I really felt that was the Lord's calling on my life was to be an assistant and do a lot of the behind the scenes, preach occasionally. And uh, we came in contact with a church on the opposite side of our county that was just about to close its doors. Uh, one of the deacons, uh, I remember met with my senior pastor. Uh, one time, the second meeting, uh, my senior pastor had me come in into that meeting and we prayed with that deacon. Uh, at the time, there were nine people that were left in the church. The pastor that had been there was uh, taking them a new evangelical direction and uh, he ended up leaving. They'd been without a pastor for about two years. So it was agreed in that meeting that I would do some pulpit fill. And uh, also, I don't know how many of you would know the Hatchet family, Charlie Hatchet. Uh, I know Brother Wayne does very well. Uh, but uh, we talked with Charlie Hatchet about coming and helping to fill the pulpit as well and do a little bit of an internship there. And after a couple months of that, uh, Charlie approached uh, Pastor Wood and myself about uh, Dr. Wayne Van Gelderen Sr., uh, your pastor's uh, father, of doing an internship there. He was at a point in his life where he had really been used to the Lord in a great way to uh, get hurting and struggling churches back on a solid foundation and moving forward for God's glory. So he came for about a four-month period. And during that four months, uh, my wife and I uh, took uh, Dr. Van out to lunch on several occasions. Um, he was living in the church parsonage. The church had nine people, but it had a building that was paid for and a parsonage that was paid for. So it was like a church replant, but with a building and a parsonage. So that was a nice fit. Uh, so we had a bed in there for him, had a lazy boy chair. That's all he wanted, a little table. So there were a few times we brought dinner to him, and uh, we uh, had dinner in the parsonage there uh, that he was staying in during those four months. And I remember the last time we went and my wife cooked dinner, we brought it there, had a wonderful meal with him. He took the liberty to give us a tour of that parsonage. And it had a basement in it, um, you know, three bedroom. At the time, uh, my wife and I had three kids. We just had our, our third child. And I remember after the tour and after dinner, we said farewell. And I got in the vehicle and I looked at my wife and I said, sweetheart, I think he just tried to sell us that parsonage. If you knew anything about Dr. Van Sr., he was a great salesman for the ministry. And I mean that with all the greatest respect. Um, he was not manipulative. He was not a con artist. Uh, he was a man that walked with God. And the longer I got to know Dr. Van Sr., the more my respect grew for him immensely. After that meeting with the parsonage, and I thought, you know, what, what was he doing? It was just a couple weeks later that my senior pastor approached me and said, hey, I just want you to know I was approached by Charlie Hatchett and Dr. Van about you possibly going on as senior pastor. He said, I just want your thoughts. I said, well, 
I'm under you, Brother Wood. And I feel the Lord really would have me to be a second man. And I remember he said, that's exactly how I feel. And the door was closed and we went on about our duties that day. And I remember about 1130 that night, my phone rang. I was dead asleep. I answered it as a pastor. You think, oh, there's an emergency. What's going on? And I'll never forget my senior pastor said, Craig, I met with Dr. Van Sr. this afternoon. He said, after that meeting and praying with him, I have wrestled all evening. And he said, I needed to call you and tell you that I feel I'm standing in your way. And I remember I'm like, oh, no, no, you're not. It's okay. <laughs> Please keep standing. So guess what? He went to bed, and then I stayed up the rest of the night wrestling over this matter. And it was uh, just a couple days later, praying with my wife. I went and had lunch with Dr. Van Sr. And in that meeting, we prayed, and it was clearly the Lord's direction that uh, my wife and I go to a church that uh, had nine people. We almost doubled it with my family. Uh, uh, we moved up to 14 when we joined. And the Lord has just done a tremendous uh, work in that little bitty ministry. Uh, we're in the middle of a corn and soybean field out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, in fact, uh, the area of Brothers Impel grew up when he was uh, a young boy. Sterling, Illinois is where we go shopping. Uh, his dad was pastor at Faith Baptist in Sterling for several years. And I got to know his dad very well. Uh, but this past January, we completed 26 years. And I, I've often thought as the Lord, I'm always open if the Lord would have us to minister somewhere else. Uh, there's even been about three or four occasions, uh, two occasions. We went and actually preached at another ministry uh, with a possibility of candidating, not because I wanted to, not because I was looking, not that I had any desire, but I wanted to be sensitive to the Lord's leading. And every time he's just confirmed and made clear, this is where he has planted us. One of the best pieces of advice that Dr. Van Gelderen Sr. gave me and I remember it was one of our last meetings. Um, I had already taken over uh, the position in the ministry, and he came by. We had lunch together uh, before he went off to another ministry. And we were sitting in my new office, and he said, you know, Brother Craig, I want to give you some, some words of wisdom. And when Dr. Van said that, you paid attention and listened. And I remember he said, don't ever look out the window. And I didn't know what he meant exactly when he said that. And I asked him and he explained, he said, you make sure you focus your attention right where God has you planted right now. If he moves you, he moves you. But don't look out the window for what you might consider to be bigger and better things. And I've never forgot that advice. And that there's been times I felt like running. There's been times the trials have been very difficult and challenging in ministry. And I would often think back to that advice, and I'm so thankful that the Lord gave me that wisdom from that godly man and many other nuggets of truth. But it has been a joy and a blessing. Uh, one other thing he told me, he said, you know, Craig, I know it's a little bitty area, and I know there's just a handful of you here right now, but you should be running around 75 people eventually. I've never forgotten that. And sometimes we've been a little bit lower than that. Sometimes we've been a little bit higher, but it has been averaged for about 27 years now, about 75 people. He just, just was an amazing man whose God hand was upon his ministry. I miss him, miss him immensely, but very thankful for his family, uh, your pastor, Brother Jim, uh, John, uh, Brother Wayne's sons, 
and uh, just a great joy and a great blessing. I'd like you to go ahead, if you would. This isn't our main text, but I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. <clears throat> and I'm bringing you this section of Scripture because a, another piece of advice I never forgot. When I was in Bible college, I graduated from Ambassador Baptist College down in uh, Shelby, North Carolina at the time. It's now in Lattimore. Uh, I graduated in 1995. And I remember one of our professors uh, said quite often, that we had to discipline ourselves as students of God's Word to never allow the Bible to become a textbook. Amen. And that's so easy to do when you're in it all the time. You're studying it. You're learning a New Testament survey, Old Testament survey, going through all the books, going through the chapters and the verses. It's very easy to allow Scripture to become a textbook. And you're walking in dangerous waters if you ever allow the Bible to be anything but the authority of God's Word in your life. So I want to remind you of that and give you that challenge. And, and 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20 really brings this to light. But notice what it says. It says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. And, and the idea of, of the word men there in the Greek text is talking about spiritual maturity. That's what's in the context. here. when it comes to the things of the world... Uh, be alert to them, uh, be discerning in them, but we need to be ignorant as far as the things of the world, as far as the influence they have upon us. When it comes to the things of the Lord Jesus Christ, when it comes to the authority of God's Word, those are things we had better have a great understanding about. And that's what these times are for. Your classes, the time you're under the preaching of God's Word here uh, and the services, chapel time, this is something you're regularly involved in. All of these are opportunities to help you to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ and to aid you in your spiritual maturity. So I just want to give you that reminder. Now, this may be something hard for some of you to really comprehend. Others of us would uh, very much understand and comprehend this. But Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 4.7, he talks about a journey. He talks about a race. He talks about a, a finishing or a completion of the race. And as believers, we never know when we will take our final breath. We never know when the Lord might return. I've always thought with the singing going on today, I love singing like this and just our hearts being lifted up to the Lord. Music that is honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ and soul stirring. I, I picture that's, wouldn't that be a great time for the Lord to come back? It's just to be caught up together with Him at that very moment. But as we think and, and, and really try to conclude the end of our journey, when as Hebrews tells us, we'll take that final breath. And we'll enter into his presence. Whenever that time is, we do know it is approaching. And I don't know when I'm going to cross that finish line. Five days ago, I turned 57. I, I think that's still young. Would you consider? Okay, that's what I thought. I thought that would still be young. Um, so I know that journey is at some point going to come to a completion. So what I would like to do this morning in our time together is help us uh, really recognize and see the priority that you and I have in serving our Lord and Savior faithfully, Amen. consistently, 
and with a yielded heart that we be used mightily for God's glory. Whether it's right here while you're in Bible college, whether it's in the, 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 the ministries you're involved in, whether it's in the, the places of employment some of you might be involved in, uh, you're going on spring break, whether it's back home. I'm curious, are there any Southerners here? Oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. I grew up in Dallas, Texas. So I will throw out a y'all every now and then. Um, I've come a long ways. I've actually been in Illinois longer now, finally, than I, I, I did in, uh, in Texas. My wife and I uh, were married in 1990, April. Our anniversary, 33 years, is coming up next month. Um, she would be here with me. She usually travels with me when I, I'm going somewhere to, to preach or to minister. Uh, but my mother-in-law just, uh, she has Parkinson's and dementia setting in. She just moved in with us two weeks ago. So my wife's schedule has changed very much. I do appreciate your prayers for our family with that transition. But I really like to uh, bring to the reality in the mind of us how important it is that, again, whatever age we're at, whatever situation we're in, whatever circumstance uh, stance that we're in, that we live faithfully for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do, if you'll turn our main text today, is Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I also want to remind you, uh, you know, you might have just heard these verses preached this past week, this past month, maybe many times this year. Maybe your classes are even studying these passages. No matter how familiar you might be with a section of God's Word, always approach it as if it is the first time you've read it. Amen. So you can glean every nugget of truth that God would have for you. Uh, you know, being at a ministry uh, for almost 27 years now, we've gone through some of the books of the Bible uh, on a few occasions, more than once. And it's always exciting to me when I study a passage I've already preached on. I'm like, wow, I, I, didn't, I didn't see that before. And that's really the excitement of the Word of God. So I just want to give you that little thought as we press forward. Let's go ahead and look at our text, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read down verses 15 down through verse 20 this morning. Scripture tells us, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, again, we just come before your throne of grace. Um, you know, my heartbeat and my prayer is always on the Baptist that you would increase and that I would decrease. I have no desire for anyone to see me behind this pulpit. I want them to hear and to be, uh, Lord, just uh, encouraged and strengthened and challenged with the authority of your word today. I want them to see Jesus Christ and all that he is. And we thank you for that. I ask for your Holy Spirit to do a mighty work on this Tuesday morning in this chapel service and that your name be glorified. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have the preeminence and we give you the glory and the praise in Christ's name. Amen. 
First thing we're going to be looking at, and uh, I always challenge our congregation to take notes. I'm not necessarily going to ask you to do that. You're welcome to, and it helps you to stay alert and focused, but you take notes all day, so you're not going to offend me if you don't. Uh, just ask the Lord to, uh, to bless you today, and uh, whatever nugget of truth He has for you, for you in His Word, I know it will be a blessing to you. So, first thing we're going to be looking at, number one, as we break down the text here, beginning in verse 15, is our need to be diligent. Our need to be diligent. So as we draw near the finish line, first and foremost, number one, the text says we need to be diligent. Again, look at verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly. The word circumspectly there means to be diligent. It means to be alert as to how we live our lives. And the reason we are to be diligent, the, the reason we're to live our lives with great care and give it tremendous attention is because we are really given only two options in how we can live our lives. And that's also in the text. It says in verse 15 as well that we can live either foolishly or we can make the conscious choice to live wisely. If we are not determined to live wisely, then I like to ask the question, then why would we even call ourselves Christians? Why would we even name the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior if our determination is not to live wisely for God's glory? If we're not determined to do that, we need to do some heart check. So I pray that with this first aspect of time, we would all agree of the importance to strive to live our lives wisely, not according to man's opinion, not according to the last book we read, but according to the authority of God's Word. And what we're going to look at the remainder of our time this morning is how do we exactly accomplish this? And this question is answered in the next five verses. I think I've gone quite a long period of time without throwing out a y'all there. That's a, that's a miracle for me. Just a little side note. When my wife and I were married in 1990, in April, I remember it was about March as we were planning the wedding, and she approached me about writing out our vows and then saying them at our weddings. My wife and I were both new believers, only saved about a year, and we really had a burden and a desire to honor Christ at our wedding. And I remember she gave me that suggestion, no joke, I looked at her and said, Honey, there's no way I could ever speak in front of another person like that. I was scared to death. It would be seven months later, we would move to Illinois, and just a couple months after that, we started helping out in the youth department of our church, and the Lord called this Texan to the ministry. And it, I'm standing here. God can use me, me to do what He's allowed me to do for the kingdom. He can do that with any. So again, still might be a y'all here or there, so be patient with me on that. All right, let's go ahead and look now at, at how we're going to focus on uh, the foolishly or the wisely aspect, and again, looking how we can accomplish living circumspectly, living cautiously and discerningly, living wisely rather than living foolishly as believers. So number two, we're going to look at here in verse 16. Number two, the Bible says we need to be resourceful as we near the finish line, we near the end of our journey, and we near the goal that God has established for us. Look again in verse 16. Redeeming the time, the Bible says, because the days are evil. The reason that we are to be resourceful, as Scripture points out here, the, the reason we're to redeem the time is, again, because the days are evil. The word redeeming means to rescue something from loss. That's the context of that word. And I'd like to ask you this real simple question. 
Would you agree or not agree that the age in which we're living in, that the days are indeed evil? Last month in February, on February the 23rd, the school board of an elementary school district in Arizona, based on one school board member's recommendation, they voted to break a contract with a Christian Bible-based university the contract was the teachers would come in to do their internship uh, to get some training, be a help to the school district. But by the recommendation of one board member who proposed that they cease the contract based on this fact, she did not think it would be appropriate or beneficial to be associated with a Christian university that would have Christian teachers come in because of a doctrine that was based on that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and both in the classroom as well as in life, He should have the preeminence. And based on their stand on God's Word, that school district voted unanimously to break that contract and also added in their, uh, their bylaws that they would no longer hire anyone that would have any type of Christian affiliation. This wasn't Russia. This isn't China. This is the United States of America. It's one thing for one school board member to maybe recommend that. It's another thing for a whole board to agree to it and a community to embrace it. We live in evil days, my friend. And there's a reason why God has called you and me as we near the finish line to be faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 through 14 says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I think, you know, my generation, generations before us, and, and your generation is probably getting more of a glimpse of it than we probably have ever had in the United States for decades. But we are seeing the reality of the evilness and the godlessness of this world. And as we approach closer and closer to those end times, our Lord's return and uh, the, everything involved with the rapture, the second coming, etc., don't look at these days as, as something to be fearful of. When Jesus told us that the world's going to wax worse and worse, but let these things not trouble you. I think sometimes we forget, let these things not trouble you aspect of Scripture. These are exciting times. I mean, they're not fun times necessarily, but they're exciting because they're times of incredible and amazing opportunity. He goes on again, verse 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, known of whom thou hast learned them. You see, the things that you and I as believers deal with on a regular basis, I understand, are at times overwhelming. Are they not? You see, it is because of these evil days in which you and I live that we must be resourceful with our time. Hold your place there in Ephesians. Turn over to Psalm chapter 39, please. Book of Psalm chapter 39 and look down. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. Psalm chapter 39, verses 4 through 7. The Bible tells us, Lord, make me to know mine end. Wow, what, a, what precious counsel that is. Make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity, Selah. 
And then look at verse 6 and 7. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? I mean, with all that's going on with my, my life, I'm, I'm weak and I'm frail with, with the world that's in chaos, with all that is going on, what wait I for? Uh, my hope is in thee. My hope is in thee. Number three. Number three, we need to be faithful as we near the finish line. We need to be faithful as we near the finish line. Look with me, if you would, back in Ephesians and draw your attention down to verse 17. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The word unwise there means uh, to, to be ignorant or senseless. Don't, don't be ignorant or senseless when it comes to the authority of God's Word, when it comes to the reality of who Jesus Christ is, when it comes to the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the sad truth is that we who are believers, we can deny the importance of God's role in our lives when we choose to walk in disobedience. That is an unwise, unhealthy and foolish spiritual choice to walk in a way where we are in complete and even minor disobedience to the Lord. The only way that we can walk in obedience clearly, and we'll see in the next verse, is when we are yielded under the complete trove of the Holy Spirit of God. Psalm chapter 48, uh, 40 and verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Another statement Dr. Ben Sr. Uh, uh, made to me on several occasions, and I've heard uh, Pastor Wayne uh, make that statement as well. He said, you know, as, as we're serving the Lord, we need to have a fire in our belly. Amen. I've never forgot that. Have a fire, a hunger, a burning in our belly for God's glory to be manifested in our lives so that we can be affecting others for the cause of the gospel. What are some of the clear demands of God's will for our lives as believers? I, I, I recognize some of you are, are probably not married. Some of you are. Some of you, I'm sure, will be as, as that day approaches. But I recognize that some of the clear demands that God has for me in my life, first and foremost, I, beyond my being faithful to Him, I need to be faithful to my family. There's a ministry requirement in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 through 5 that I take extremely seriously. And anyone who is called to full-time ministry, any aspect of ministry, had better be very discerning and take this uh, passage very, very seriously. Listen to what it says, 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. One that ruleth his own house, or excuse me, well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Some of my best memories with my family is ministering together the gospel of Jesus Christ. My youngest daughter just uh, married a, a, a wonderful man uh, in the ministry, and they just moved to Lapeer, Michigan. My oldest son, uh, Caleb Farmer, he's assistant pastor at Temple Baptist in Pasco, Washington. Uh, my uh, oldest daughter uh, and her husband are very involved in ministry. Uh, my uh, second son, he's the only one unmarried in the family. He's living down in Tennessee serving the Lord. And then uh, my, my middle daughter, her and her husband live in Illinois and are ministering with us. And I just thank the Lord for our family. And now I'm a grandpa, four grandkids. Oh, man, this is a precious stage of life. 
And so we have an opportunity to be an influence to them as well. And I just want to share this with you, whether you're married now, someday to be married, or whatever your family is in this current situation, you will absolutely be of no use and no value to your wife, to your children, to your church family, if you're not living faithfully for God's glory. Please don't forget that. Also, not only are we to be faithful to our family, we need to be faithful to the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, to believe the Word is, well, let me just say, one side of the coin is incredibly important. But faithfully adhering to the Word of God is the other side of the coin. God's word is the authority. And because it is our authority, we have the responsibility to yield to its authority and we have the responsibility to be faithful to it. The days are evil indeed. Therefore, may we who are called to preach the word of God, to teach the word of God, to influence others for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul gives a charge to that individual in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word. Amen. Be instant in season. Out of season. You know what that means? That means when people like you and they pat you on the back and say what an awesome job you did preaching God's word. And that's also the times when they hate your guts because the spirit of God through the preaching of God's word is stepping on their toes. You preach it in season. You preach it out of season. You reprove, you rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And we must especially thirdly be faithful to our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My friend, we are to truly be drawing near to that finish line with the ability of our understanding that the Lord Jesus Christ today, He does matter in every part of our existence, in every breath that we take that God gives us. He's not just part of our life. He is our life. He is our heartbeat. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6-7 through says, Paul speaking, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I don't know if the Lord will allow me to be on my deathbed where I can look back and ponder my life. But this has always been a goal of mine. Lord, I don't want any regrets. I don't want one regret. I want to know that my life was spent up for your glory and for your honor. And that brings us to number four. Number four, Ephesians 5.18. We are to be spirit-led as we draw near to the finish line. Spirit-led. I promise you, I know your pastor well. This is a verse you're probably extremely familiar with. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but it's an imperative one in our life and responsibility and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, notice verse 18. And be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The word filled means to be overflowing uh, to, to the brim uh, of a container that might have a liquid in it. That's the example there. And we are to be overflowing with the influence and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Listen to 2 Peter 1.21. It talks about just the writers that the Spirit of God chose to place these words down. The Spirit of God is the author. God chose men to be the writers of it. Notice what he says, 2 Peter 1.21. For the prophecy came not in old time, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake 
as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The word moved there has the exact same understanding of the word filled. It means to be carried or driven by something. What drives you? Maybe a better phrase is who drives you? The Spirit of God should be driving us to accomplish the task and the responsibilities He's called us to in fulfilling the great commission of the gospel. You see, it is the Spirit of God that moves me to put aside my selfish nature, and I have one. Uh, probably a good thing. My wife is in here today. She would be shaking her head. Yep, I've seen it. I have one just like you. It's the Spirit of God that moves me and compels me and fills me to be what Cindy needs in a husband, to be what my children and grandchildren need in a dad and a grandpa, to be what my church family needs as a pastor, an example of what it means of one that is sold out for the cause of the gospel. God's church desperately needs people today who are controlled by the Holy Spirit of God rather than being controlled by their flesh. The finish line is getting closer. I'm 57. I, I still look at myself as young. In fact, my wife, uh, uh, a couple months ago, we had a new couple come into our church. They have three small kids, and he's just a great guy. And I was talking to my wife about him as if he was a peer. And she very gently and lovingly said, Honey, you realize we're old enough to be his parents. And I looked at her in confusion. So I'm getting older. I recognize that. My finish line is getting closer and that brings us to number five, after making sure we are led and filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. Number five, we are called to be joyful. As we near the finish line, number five, we need to be joyful. Look, if you would, here in verse, verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You remember that in that in-season and out-of-season scripture that Paul reminded us of, in relation to the preaching of God's Word. It's also that passage really has to do with our being consistent, consistently faithful, even when it seems as if our world is turning upside down. One thing, and, and I promise you, if I ask you to raise your hand and you know, share a, a challenge you've had in, in your life and how God has brought you through that, more than likely all of us would probably be able to raise our hand. The longer you live, especially if you're involved in ministry, you're going to experience many highs and many lows as it relates to this earth. One thing I have learned, and I was a little bit foggy on this in my early walk with Jesus Christ, I really saw joy more as an option. When you study the Bible, joy is not an option. Joy is a command. Amen. Because if we're implementing these very truths we're looking at this morning, how we are to live out our Christian lives, even when difficulty is in our path, we should be a joyful people Amen. because we have an amazing Savior. Yes, sir. That's the byproduct of it. In 2019... My wife, I'm just going to share quickly some things we face as a family ministry. In 2019, my wife and I are driving down the road and she expressed that her left eye, it was like a, a blind, was a shade was being pulled down over it. Three days later, she was completely blind in that eye. The doctors were dumbfounded what was taking place. And ultimately, she was diagnosed with a disease that's called neuromyelitis optica. 
There are 10,000 people in the world that have this disease. And I've always told my dear sweet wife, you are a very special lady, and that just proved it. God miraculously allowed her eyesight to return fully to 2020. And with this disease, that does not happen. And we're very grateful for that. My mother-in-law, as I, I mentioned, has Parkinson's and uh, dementia setting in. She just moved in with us uh, uh, two weeks ago. This past year, two men that were extremely instrumental in our ministry. They both uh, were the same age, had a, a birthday just a day apart from each other. And the Lord took them home two weeks apart from each other. And I miss them immensely. There's been many of those scenarios. But I will mainly reflect on July of 1997 when our ministry as well as our family faced an incredibly difficult, challenging trial. One of the reasons my wife and I met in Dallas, Texas, uh, I was in business. Uh, she came to work as a computer programmer for the company I was in. We were both new believers and we had a burden for my wife's family. And we moved to Illinois really to be able to see them come to Christ. And my wife's youngest sister, uh, we were able to lead her to the Lord in our living room. She became actively involved in a part of our ministry, uh, her and her children. And I am just grateful what God did in Valerie's life. But quickly, in 1997, July, she had some numbness on her face, went to the doctor. Two weeks later, we found out with MRI, she had a massive brain tumor. It's called an astrocytoma. Uh, from 1997 up until 2013, or excuse me, 2003, uh, she had uh, three major surgeries to remove the tumor. She had a 12-year battle. And in 2009, in the month of August, God called her home to glory. That was hard on our church. It was obviously very extremely difficult for our families. Valerie had eight different chemo treatments, three different radiation treatments lasting for months. And it wasn't until her 12th year again in 2009 that her body could fight no longer and the Lord called her home. Those last weeks of her life, talking about joy and it not being an option and being a command, she determined and told us verbally, I am going to be joyful through this. When she was bedridden and because of being bedridden and the effects of the chemo and, and large boils were all over her body, when we sang at her bedside, my wife and I, she sang with us with the biggest smile on her face. She died in the joy of the Lord. My wife and I were still parents. We were still a pastor and a pastor's wife with great responsibilities that did not stop due to this crisis. Yet God in His grace and His mercy gives you and I in the moments of these difficulties, and I don't know what difficulties some of you might be facing, but He gives us joy as we walk in faithfulness to Him as we draw near our finish line. And then very quickly, lastly, number six, we are to be thankful. Not only joyful, Lastly, number six, we are to be thankful. Notice what he says again here back in Ephesians 5, verse 20. Giving thanks, not some of the time, not most of the time, but in the highs and the lows, the mountains and the valleys, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how do you expound on that? How do you
you expound on what was just expressed in verse 20. I'll do my best. I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful and rejoice in the wonderful, beautiful, godly, gracious, patient, serving side-by-side wife that God has given me. I'm thankful for my five children, my four grandchildren. I'm thankful for the honor and privilege to be in the ministry in this little bitty church for almost 27 years. I'm not looking for someone else if he, or somewhere else. If he calls me, they're fine, but I am content and I love every moment of it. I'm thankful for my church family, and they really are more like family than a church family. And though hard and sometimes difficult, yes, I am very thankful for the trials that I endure because it is those very trials that draw me to my Savior in a a way that nothing else ever would. I've often told our church family, I don't want any of you to go through hardship. I don't want any of you to go through trials and difficulties. But I want to challenge you with this. Embrace them. Because those are the very things that God is going to use in your life to conform you into the image of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, please, as we draw near to that finish line, be diligent Be resourceful, be faithful, be spirit-led, be joyful, and to God the glory, let's be determined to be thankful.